Welcome, my friends. We are so happy to be back beyond the walls together. As I am recording right now, I am in awe of each and every one of you. I am in awe of this ministry and humbled by the events that have taken place in the last number of days. Not only did we conclude yet another amazing and inspiring National Leaders Gathering, but we also have people moving their feet right now in the final days of their seven-day 6K marathon. We are so proud of you, but also, as you all know, World Water Day was this past Monday, March 22nd, and it was one for the books. Our God is a big God who always does more than we could ever ask or imagine, but on Monday, man, he put on a show in and through you. Nearly $1.4 million raised to see nearly 28,000 people receive clean water. Friends, take a moment and sit in the goodness of what we have been able to be a part of. God is using us to bring a bit of heaven right here on earth. This is what we get to do. I am because we are. This week's episode, we actually want to share just a little bit of our National Leaders Gathering as we were privileged to have the Vice President of Water at World Vision, Dr. Greg Allgood, join us for a live question and answer session. What you're about to hear is that conversation, which was led by our very own Kansas City Area Director, Nick Maroki. Even if you were there, take another listen. Every time we've joined by Dr. Allgood, I'm reminded of just how important and impactful the work that World Vision does to bring clean water to the most vulnerable. It's such an honor to be with all of you today. Um, so yeah, a little bit about myself. As Lindsay mentioned, I had a full career with Procter & Gamble. And when I was at PG, I created and led one of the, the largest efforts by the private sector to provide clean water in the developing world. And as part of that work, we had more than 60 partners, and the effort grew to, to provide more than a billion liters of water every year. I had the opportunity to take early retirement, but I knew I wanted to continue a, a full-time career in the water sector. And because I had worked with all those partners, I really had a range of options. But my choice was really just World Vision. I'd seen World Vision's work in many countries by that point. Um, and really believe in the holistic model to work with communities so they can lift themselves out of poverty. So, you know, I thought I had chosen World Vision. It was only later that I, I found the story uh, about the story within World Vision. Um, and here it is. As the water work really began to grow, World Vision started seeking someone with an established reputation in the water area. And they literally created a short list of people. And I was honored to be on that list, although I didn't know it. Um, while they didn't think I'd leave PNG, they literally started praying over that list, and then I called. So you can definitely say that it's a God thing that led me to World Vision. Well, we realized that we, we have to get water right if we're going to help people out of extreme poverty, because the, the global water crisis is one of the most uh, biggest public health crises of our time. More than 800 children die every day from drinking contaminated water, 800 kids a day. The deaths occur mostly to the least of these children born into rural areas of the developing world and they're in extreme poverty. So here's the deal, water is still collected by hundreds of millions of people from rivers, lakes, and open wells. In fact, 
785 million people do not have access to a basic clean water source. That's more than one out of every 10 people on the planet. And get this, women and children spend 200 million hours every day hauling water. And the average walk for water, as you know, is six kilometers. And that's why we created the, the global 6K. So we can walk so, so they don't have to. And it's not just people's homes that lack clean water. Half the schools in Africa don't have a clean water source. And half the health centers, the health clinics in the developing world don't have water or soap. Imagine that. Your doctor nurse not having a way to wash their hands between seeing patients. Mothers having to bring their own water to wash themselves after giving birth and their newborn babies. Of course, in a situation like this, so unhygienic, infections spread, and what should be the miraculous, um, joyous occasion of birth can instead become a death sentence. You can't live long without water. That's why people drink water that's so contaminated, contaminated with bacteria, viruses, and parasites. And that causes still today, every year, millions of cases of typhoid fever, dysentery, and cholera. But here's the biggest part of the biggest tragedy in this. We know how to solve this. There are a lot of, a lot of complex problems in the world that are very difficult to think about how to solve, but providing a clean water source in a rural community that provides water to the households, to the schools, and to the healthcare centers is something we know how to do. We don't need new technology. We have it now. It's proven. It's affordable. It's actually one of the most cost-effective things you can do to save lives. Water is so fundamental to development. If we don't get water right, then the community will stay in poverty despite your best efforts. But when you get water right, it changes everything. Kids can go to school because they're not getting sick. They're not hauling water. Women can be freed from the drudgery and backbreaking work of hauling water every day. That also frees them up to, to pursue economic opportunities. So the work that all of y'all are doing in, to help us in providing clean water is literally transforming millions of people's lives. That's incredible. Um, and I just, I, I love hearing, I, I can even relate a lot to, uh, you know, when you're talking about, you know, giving birth, like just when my wife was, you know, at the hospital, I couldn't help but stop and think about that and how critical that was to have the access to that clean water. And so thanks for sharing that little bit of that so that we can get a better understanding of that. What, what, what does the scope of what we're doing now look like uh, and what we're doing right now, right now with World Vision? Well, World Vision with our donors and partners are doing more than anybody else to address the global water crisis. As you mentioned, we're the largest nonprofit provider of clean drinking water in the developing world. In fact, we reach one new person with clean water every 10 seconds. We do our work in 41 countries and we have 1,200 professional staff. And we're very thankful for all that y'all are doing as part of Team World Vision because the funds that you provide are some of our most valuable. Let me explain this. The funds that you raise allow us to go where people need water the most. This flexibility allows us to multiply your donations significantly. Over the last five years, we've tracked this and get this, every dollar you raise for World Vision to provide water, we're able to leverage to get additional funds from corporations, governments, child sponsorship and governments, and that generates an additional $4. So every dollar you raise becomes $5 in impact. That's an incredible multiplier. That's, yeah, that's amazing. And, I, and I, you know, as we kind of jump looking into 
you know, the larger scope of things. We know that in 2015, the UN announced that sustainable development goals, which committed to countries was to eradicate poverty, eliminate extreme poverty around the world uh, with the goal of ending go the, the actual global water crisis. And we know World Vision is a big part of that, right? Our goal is to uh, 50 million people by 2030. Uh, and that progress is, is coming along right now. Uh, and the goal is 20 million by 2020. Um, where are we at with that right now? Because we know we had a big year last year. Can you just kind of update us on where, where we stand with all of that right now? Yeah, I, I remember well, we made that commitment. It was in New York City at the time, same time the UN General Assembly adopted those sustainable development goals, uh, with goal six being to end the global water and sanitation crisis. World Vision was then and still is the only major NGO to lay out a plan for how we're going to do that, how we're going to solve the global water crisis everywhere we work. At that time, we made a commitment to reach 20 million people by 2020 to make sure we're on track, hold ourselves accountable. And then this big goal by 2030, reach everybody everywhere we work of 50 million people. When we made that commitment to reach 20 million people within five years, not many people thought we could do it because only a few years before, we were just reaching 200,000 people. So to go from 200,000 people a year to 20 million people in a five-year period was really a God-sized goal. We were on track coming in to, to reach that 20 million people coming into 2020. And then of course the pandemic hit. Much of our work was shut down initially, but then we got waivers in country after country to continue the work as essential work. And we did it. As of January, actually January 29th to be specific, we reached the 20 millionth person with clean water, fulfilling our commitment. And thank all of you for being part of this. As far as 2020 alone, that year, our progress, because of your support, we reached 3.4 million people in 2020 with clean water. And we reached 8.2 million people with hygiene education, which was more than double our original target. There's such a focus on hand washing as there should be during the pandemic, because that's clearly a way to prevent the spread of the virus. So we stepped up our work to provide hand washing facilities, reaching nearly 5,000 schools, 2,500 healthcare centers, and an amazing 1 million households with hand washing facilities. We also trained more than 21,000 faith leaders on hygiene and how to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Just imagine that. The cumulative impact, the training of those 21,000 faith leaders will have going, spreading out throughout all their congregations. I know it's hard to wrap your mind. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around 20 million people and all these big numbers. So I want to focus on the person that we estimate was the 20 millionth person we reached with clean water. Maybe we can show the picture of Loveness Ferry and her family. Thank you. Yeah, Loveness used to get up every day at 4 a.m. to collect water for her family. Once her family received clean water through our work, she used the time saved that she's not hauling water to start a business selling food. And here's what she said. Loveness said, I'm now a businesswoman, thanks to the World Vision. Our lives will never be the same because of the borehole they have provided for us. That's incredible. And I, I love that picture. I mean, that's life in its fullness, right? And that's what we're doing. I, when I see that picture, I see those smiles. I just see the, the life in its, fullness, in its fullness there. And so that's just an incredible picture and, and, and to see that. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, now, we know that 2020 was amazing. We did so many great things in the midst of the pandemic, but it, we've recently uh, launched Finish the Job Goal in Rwanda. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about how that came to be? 
Yeah. So, you know, we have the, the huge goal to reach everybody everywhere we work by 2030, 50 million people. And as we began to flesh out our plans for country after country, we realized that some countries would finish before others. Not every country is going to finish at the end of 2030, right? And as we begin to think about this, we had one of those paradigm shifts or I think God-led inspirations. And that was, what if we picked one country and brought it forward and proved the concept of finishing the job? So we picked Rwanda and we set a five-year goal by 2022 of reaching everybody everywhere we work in the entire country of Rwanda. To do that, we needed to raise $30 million from U.S. donors. People have really responded to our plan to finish the job in Rwanda. And in fact, we completed the funding needed in just three years, two years ahead of schedule. Uh, and we did it right before Christmas. And it's really been a game changer for our, for our work in the field to provide clean water. Just last year, in the middle of the pandemic, we reached nearly a quarter of a million people in Rwanda. So we're on track to finish the job there. Incredible. And you know, what's you know crazy about, I saw somebody posted here, like love how World Vision is casting these, these big goals. Uh, so speaking of that, where are we, where do we have our sights set on next? Yeah, if people saw that video before we opened this section, they, they saw it. But our, our work to finish a job is clearly such a big idea that we need to do it in other countries. And so next up is Zambia. This will uh, mean to finish the job there, to reach everybody everywhere we work in the entire country of Zambia means reaching 800,000 people over five years and we'll need to raise $50 million from US donors. In addition to provide clean water near people's homes, as you saw in the video, we're really stepping up the critical work in schools and healthcare centers in these communities. In fact, we'll reach 125 healthcare centers with comprehensive water, sanitation, hand-washing facilities, and that's gonna service a million people. And we'll do the same water sanitation hygiene in 350 schools serving 175,000 kids. Now, if we can bring up the picture of Agnes, who we saw in the video. Um, yeah, she was the, the, the person that, that we saw in the video and, and interviewed. Um, she told us of the hard work that she does to haul water, how she misses school from being sick. And she asked us, will you bring us clean water? Hmm. Wow. So we're gonna finish the job in Zambia, but it's not the only place we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're continuing the work in 41 countries. We just completed our five-year global business plan. We do them in five-year increments. That's what got us to 2020. Now we have the plan to 2025. We're gonna reach 25 million people or halfway towards that 50 million goal by 2023. And we're gonna reach a cumulative 35 million people by 2025, leaving us just 15 million people to finish the job everywhere we work by 2030. So we have a God-sized plan. Uh, we're tracking right along with it. This business plan is our biggest one ever. Over the five-year period, globally, we'll need to raise a billion dollars to accomplish this God-sized God goal. Um, you know, the fundraising by Team World Vision is absolutely critical to this plan. So thank you all for what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're helping be part of the team that is transforming millions of lives. So thank you, God bless you.
next part of the podcast, we'll share with you one of our breakout sessions from MLG where Dr. Allgood took us even deeper into the science, logistics, and strategy of World Vision's water work. Nick Maroki is joined by Javi Diaz, who also engaged our listeners to ask additional questions during our leaders gathering. everybody thank you for joining us here uh, for the third and final session of the day it's been an awesome uh, time here with Dr. Allgood uh, we just appreciate you all joining us and also Dr. Allgood thanks again for uh, joining us for this third session uh, we, we covered quite a bit before but we had some other follow-up questions we kind of wanted to hit on so actually I'll, I'll kick us off here with some of those ones we wanted to get answered and then we can go back um, and connect with um, Avi about any other questions so um, can you, again, talk, talk about why the community development model World Vision uses for clean water is sustainable and best for communities who lack access? Yeah, the community model that we use is, is, is really a holistic one of working with communities to empower them to address whatever their specific needs are. And in the places that we work, many times, uh, that's water sanitation and, and hygiene. Um, and so, um, we work with them from the beginning to make sure that they, they take ownerships and the, the water points that we provide. Um, that question may have come out of the fact that uh, it's well known that in the water sector in general, there's an issue with water point sustainability. They break down frequently and aren't repaired. As you, as you travel through Africa, you'll see a lot of hand pumps that are broken down and not working. Um, and World Vision is different. And we know that because of, a, of an independently funded study that was done, it was funded by the Conrad N. Hilton Foundation. They fund more water work than any other uh, organization. They've been funding World Vision now for 30 years. Um, and they, they provide more, us with more funds than, than any other organization. They, they wanted to look at the place they first started funding water, which is this arid part of Ghana called the Afram Plains. And it used to have very high rates of this debilitating disease called guinea worm, a worm that buries into your skin when you're walking through, through collecting water in a stream. Um, also high rates of, of trachoma, the leading preventable cause of blindness in the world, and high rates of death of children from diarrhea. So a lot of water points were provided. And, and praise God, guinea worm and trachoma were eliminated, were eliminated from the country of Ghana. Um, but there were enough water points so that uh, it was possible to look at World Vision versus non-World Vision water points. And the Hilton Foundation uh, uh, contracted the University of North Carolina Water Institute to do, do this work. For the non-World Vision water points, the older they were, the more likely they weren't gonna be functioning. And it was similar to, to what we've seen before, and that's 30 to 50%. For World Vision, it was different. It was dramatically different, in fact. There was no impact of age. So whether the water point was two years old or older than 20 years old, and many of them in this study were, then they had a very high rate of functioning. The study even showed why, and it wasn't the type of hand pump or the level of the water table or any of the other things it might've been. It was the existence of a water committee that takes ownership and the maintenance and also has a collection system. So there's money available when the water point breaks down. So through, you're, everyone's 
on this call's work, we donate the water system, but the ongoing repairs and maintenance are funded by the community by collecting typically pennies for every jerry can that's, uh, that's collected from a water kiosk, but that adds up. Uh, and so there's enough money available to quickly repair the water systems when they break down. In fact, the study showed there was no difference in, the, in uh, whether they broke down, World Vision water points broke down just as often as others. It's just they were quickly repaired instead of, instead of allowed to, to, to not be, to be fixed. Oh, that's so good, Dr. Allgood. You know, as I think about the, um, the water committees, I think they are the unsung heroes of the, the water sanitation hygiene piece that we do around the world. Uh, when I was in Rwanda, they, they not only started, you know, hygiene clubs and all these things through the children, but they, they actually started making their own hand soaps and other soaps as a, as a means for economic empowerment and development. So just goes to show when water arrives, how much of it can, can cross over into other areas of life. And if I'm a lot of, to build on your point, a lot of those water committees that, you know, they have a fee collection system. Yeah. So they then turn that fee collection system into savings groups. So yeah. they pull their money, make loans to, to people. Um, and that allows them to create businesses, whether it's selling soap or selling produce, you know, it's, it's, uh, it really rolls out into lifting people out of poverty because they have higher incomes. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I want to take maybe about um, 15 or 20 steps back uh, to, to, to the beginning of how we start to work with communities with our water work. Can you tell us a little All bit the way more back about to Jesus at the well? The <laughs> sure, why not? Right, that that'll lead us Sorry. into Christian witness and a bunch of other good stuff, right? But um, can you talk about how we um, how 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 we work from the from a top down and a bottom up approach to identify and bring water interventions to to communities? Yeah, so um, because of child sponsorship, we have staff. That, that funds the, the staff that live and work um, in the places that we serve. They're typically far rural areas, the, the most neediest areas identified by looking at national surveys and talking to local government. Um, and they're typically the size of a county. They may be called a Cabela or a ward or a district, but, but they're sent, you know, think of maybe 50,000 people in, in a rural, pretty big area. Our staff live and work there and they work with the community to rebuild the fabric of the community first. Because in these areas of extreme poverty, many times the communities will be very broken. So you have to, to um, find the natural leaders that are there, build them up. One of the things that World Vision does that um, is a secret to the success of the water committees is, is find and help local women give voice in the communities. They may, may have never had an opportunity to do that. In fact, we want half of the water committee to be women. Um, we found that the secret to long, long living, long lived water committees is having women in leadership roles in those in those water committees. So you rebuild the fabric of the community. They identify what their biggest needs are. Um, you know, you address the fatalism that may be in those communities. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you talk to people about them being made in the image of God. So they're meant to be successful. Yeah. Then you start later on. Uh, creating the water committee, talking about governance of the water committee, making sure women are on it, um, doing other needs that are needed, um, teaching about uh, building latrines, uh, hand washing. Then you bring in the infrastructure, the drilling rigs with our hydrologists. And, and so it, it may be five years from when we enter a community before you actually see things like a well being built. And that's, mm -hmm. that's critical because it allows for the community ownership to occur 
that is the real secret to sustainability. We want the stuff that we provide to last, and it does because we use this, this careful, methodical approach that has been honed over decades. Yeah, that's so good. You know, one of the things I, I, I remember pulling out of the UNC water report was that a lot of the work that we do is oftentimes repairing wells that have fallen into disrepair because they didn't have this holistic structure around them to keep that water point thriving into the future. Um, you brought up an interesting point, and I, th and I think it's worth mentioning. We, we not only want half of the women on a water committee to be, to, to be women, half of the committee, but we also have very powerful women within our own organization that help us carry out the strategic work of water implementation across the world. Could you maybe share a little bit of one of those leaders? Sure. Uh, well, Margaret Schuler is our head of international programs. So for World Vision U.S., she leads all the, the, the water work that's done, a senior vice president. Um, then we can go to our, our global operations director of, of water globally, uh, a Kenyan woman, Pauline Okumu, uh, now leads our work. Of, I know you know Sean Kerrigan. That's the role that Sean mm -hmm. Kerrigan used to have in the past. And then you go down to a country level. And, and we talked about finish the job in, in, in Rwanda. And our leader in Rwanda is Nikez Ugagimbi. And she's a Rwandan woman. She leads not only our water, but also our health work. Um, so yeah, we, we have put a, a focus on developing local leaders. Um, so, and you know, a lot of our work is done in, for water is done in Africa. So local African leaders that become international managers themselves, right? Um, yeah. as, as well as a specific focused on, on gender equity. Yeah, that's so good. It's, um, we, we don't just, uh, we preach, we practice what we preach, right? And it's just so good to see women rise through the ranks and, and have increasing levels of leadership capacity there. Um, there's a great question in the chat that I think we can hit on right now. Kevin is asking, so with, with our goal of 2030 for clean water and all the places where we work, um, we have to begin developing those relationships given that timeline of relationship building, trust building, implementation by the year 2025. Is that, is that a, a fair assessment? Or would you say that a lot of those relationships are already there? We're just beginning to catapult off of those existing relationships. I would say the majority of them are already there, um, mm -hmm. but uh, we do open new areas if we get enough child sponsorships. <laughs> uh, so th that's completely dependent on, on growing child, child sponsorship. Yep. Um, so yeah, we, we aspire to, to, to going into new areas. We're starting to see that in Rwanda because it's been such a huge success. And because of this multiplier, we're in discussions with um, USAID. They've seen what we're doing there. They love it. And so hopefully we're going to be able to expand the areas that we're working with in, in Rwanda to do even bigger than, than what our original vision was. Um, but yeah, it's, wow. it's all dependent on our secret sauce, of course, is the child sponsorship, funding that sustained presence in communities. So if we're able to grow sponsorship, then we can also grow, grow our water work. Thank you for, for mentioning that. You know, I think that um, when we when when Team World Vision runners think about raising funds for clean water, oftentimes the hardest ask is to invite someone into sponsorship, right? And as you mentioned, you know, that child sponsorship piece is such a critical role in terms of the special sauce that allows us to do our long-term holistic um, self-sustaining development that allows us to have the relationship with communities helping them bring, helping bring clean water to them. Can you talk a little bit more about- Just, just an aside there, when, you know, yeah. when the, the Hilton Foundation, when they got the results of this study showing we were better than other groups, you know, they, they said, there's a big caution there. 
you know, you guys are sort of cheating because you have child sponsorship. <laughs> so the other groups, you know, the, the groups that are just water organizations, you know, they can't afford to have the sustained presence in communities and can't afford to have the same community ownership that you have. That's right. I said, and that's right. That, that's right. It's our, it's our cheat code. It's our, you know, AB, AB, whatever that cheat code was for Contra. You probably know it, Nick. Yeah, you know it, you know it, Kirsten. Um, so, um, so as we go out and make those asks, that child sponsorship piece is such a big part of where we go next for our water implementation and how we bring health and wholeness through those through those systems. You mentioned, um, you also mentioned this trust building phase of what we do with communities. Obviously, sponsorship plays into that, but also the role of faith leaders is increasingly important as it relates to building the level of trust, finding good actors within those communities that we can depend on to see the water implementation stick. Can you maybe talk about the role of faith um, and, and water sanitation and hygiene? Yeah, it, it, well, it's our motivation for doing the work that, that we do. You know, we're, we're following Jesus' example to serve the poor. And that is a huge blessing um, to us, you know, and to all the people that go and and, and work in the areas where people are suffering because you feel, you feel God's presence. Um, it shouldn't be a secret, but it, it sort of is. But mm. it is the most fulfilling thing in the world to, to serve other people and, and be in the presence of God by doing that. Um, but what, our, what we want to achieve with our water work, um, when we're there in the toughest to reach places, you know, the Somalias, the, you know, the, 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 the toughest parts of, of Mali, um, is we want people to ask us why we're doing, the, you know, why are you serving us? Why, why are you, you, you know, why are you doing this work? You know, a lot of the places we're working in um, are not uh, only Christian. In fact, the majority of the places we're working now to provide water are not majority Christian. Um, and some groups won't do that. Some Christian organizations will only work in, in, Christ, in areas where they're Christians, but we want to serve everybody regardless of their, of their faith. And we want people to ask, us why we're doing that work because even in any context we're allowed to answer that question and we want to boldly and humbly tell people why we're doing the work that we that we're doing and that plant seeds uh we we see it all the time also it just it just works right <laughs> most of most of the world world is religious and particularly in the areas that we're in the rural communities still still the community thrives around the church or the, or the temple the synagogue and so why working with faith leaders, which we can uniquely do because we're a faith-based faith group, we can use them as the way to educate their congregations on the need for water committees, the need for washing your hands, the need for building latrines, and they're incredibly powerful in doing it. We know that because Johns Hopkins measured our impact during the Ebola outbreak, where mm. we worked to educate faith leaders on the practice to prevent the spread of Ebola and also the community health workers that we work with through the health centers, they measured that we reduced the spread of Ebola and that it literally saved lives. So we reapplied that now for COVID. And as I mentioned, the main session, we trained 21,000 faith leaders on how to prevent the spread of COVID. And, then, and the other thing, when you think about that, you think about this infrastructure that we've built up over now 15 years of having a world-class water program, we are uniquely equipped and trained with our 1,200 staff to prevent the spread of deadly infectious diseases. At, at the end of the day, that's what our water sanitation hygiene program does. And so God has put us in this place 
to address this pandemic and whatever happens in the future because of the expertise that our donor partners have, have funded. That's so good. Hey, Nick, I think you have a couple of questions or a question there you, you want you want to present or or talk about. I can always jump in. I got a thousand. I always have a thousand questions for Dr. Allgood. But uh, Nick, you want to jump in and ask yours? Yeah, and I, you know, we got about what, 10 minutes left, right, Javi? Is that what we're looking at? About yeah, I think minutes? so. Yeah. Um, and we'll get back to you, Javi, with the question. But one of the questions we had for you, uh, Dr. Alga, is can you tell us a little bit more about what type of partnerships World Vision is working with? Yeah, um, I'll briefly mention two of them. Um, one of them is, uh, you saw a little bit of it in the, the, if you saw the Zambia video, um, we know that not only faith leaders are great in changing habits, but actually, if you train kids, you'll, you'll train the next generation of people. And if you train kids, they'll take it home and teach their siblings and their parents. And so that's why we do the um, hygiene work and the uh, sanitation promotion and uh, you know, treating your water to keep it safe. That's why we do that in schools because we know that kids are, are wonderful change agents in communities. And we've been doing that a long time, but we, we stepped back and said, now that we have this scale, you know, we, we're big, people, people value us for our footprint, our global footprint and our scale. Who could we partner with that could make our school programs more effective? And education is great, but fun is even better. And love is the highest emotion. So who can we partner with that can bring love and fun into our programs? Well, the largest informal educator of kids in the world is Sesame Street. So we partnered with Sesame Street. And when you know it, but the Gates Foundation just funded the Sesame Street to create a Muppet that's focused on water, sanitation, and hygiene. Her name is Raya. She's six years old. She was born on World Water Day. Her birthday is Monday, you know? And so we partnered with Raya and I asked if we could have Elmo too, because I'm an Elmo guy. And so we have Raya and Elmo uh, that are helping us bring education, fun, and actually love, because the kids love the Muppets. And that is changing habits. We're seeing that taken home. So people are using uh, the hand-washing facilities, they're building latrines, they're treating their water safely. Um, and we're partnered with Stanford University to learn how to make that work even more effective. That's awesome. So that's one. The other one I mentioned is very different, um, um, but very practical, and it's with Grundfos. It's a Danish company, you may not have heard of it, but the, they're the largest submersible pump manufacturers in the world. Again, because of our scale, we said, we're, we're buying a lot of these pumps. Who can we partner with? And Grundfos is giving us huge discounts on these pumps. It's allowing them to sustainably expand their business. Um, they're a, a very um, uh, CSR uh, sustainability motivated company. Um, they're actually a a for-profit company underneath a foundation. Um, and so they're very motivated that way. They've also brought in new technology to us. Um, they've invented something called um, a water, AQTAP water ATM is the name of it, but it's a water kiosk where you can preload uh, money on a card from your mobile phone and then take that to a water kiosk to get, to get, your, to get your water. And that's allowed us to, to more reliably get the funds that are needed to sustain the water points. That's awesome. I know my kids love the Sesame Street uh, connection, so I appreciate you sharing that one. 
Uh, yeah, no, I mean, here's the thing. It's um, our partners are varied and they're, they're governments, they're individuals, they're volunteers, they're corporations like Grunfuss, they're uh, uh, informal education sector like Sesame Street and everything in between, including us, right? Us fundraisers that are moving our feet for, for folks and to, to raise, uh, you know, to raise funds to, so that people can have access to clean water. Um, can you tell us maybe um, a little bit more just at a, at a high level, kind of what, what may be a challenge for us going forward as we think about where we're going by the year 2030, what, what do you see maybe as a potential challenge for us as we strive to get global um, access to, to clean water? Yeah, so the the biggest challenge is um, our new business plan is a billion dollars with a B plan. <laughs> and that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and, and so we think we've had a breakthrough. Um, the hurdle to get people to invest in international development, the biggest hurdle is that they think it's a never ending pit you're gonna pour money into. We're, we're gonna do it because we're gonna help some people, but it's never gonna be finished. You're never really gonna finish the job. And so when we came up with the idea to finish the job in a country, drew a line in the sand, World Water Day three years ago and said, we wanna fund and, and get the job done in an entire country. That's groundbreaking. That's disruptive thinking. You know, in fact, in, um, December, when we announced that goal, we literally said, U.S. donors, do not send us any more money for Rwanda. We're done. We're finished. That doesn't happen in the not-for-profit world, but we're doing it <laughs> because we are going to finish the job in Rwanda. Next, we're going to do Zambia. So, so the answer to your question is, is the fundraising. We know how to do this work. Um, yeah. We'll continue to get better at it, and our new business plan has us getting significantly better, particularly in the areas of schools and healthcare centers and reaching even closer to people's homes through our solar powered mechanized systems. But the biggest challenge is in raising the funds. And we think we have this breakthrough in, 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 in promising people and then delivering on finishing the job. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Augur, we're so thankful for you. Uh, we're thankful for the part that you play and the part that we all get to play as, as fundraisers. I hope you all hear the heard the challenge clear and concisely put. Uh, the, 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 the problem is not expertise and willingness to go to the hardest places on earth. The, the, the challenge is raising the funds so that we can send people uh, into those places and provide water sanitation and hygiene for the most vulnerable. So uh, thanks for attending. Uh, back to you, Nick. Thank you, guys. Thanks again for joining us this week. I'm just so humbled and blown away by your hard work this year. When there seemed to be no way, God made a way. And not only that, you chose to keep moving. Friends, there are thousands of people on the other side of your faithful footsteps this season. Please do not lose sight of the power of what you have been a part of. Year after year, day after day, step after step, you are making a difference. 
Now, I know we just took a week off for our national leaders gathering, but we want to practice what we preach. So when we talk about pacing and recovery, that applies to both training and life. So as we close out our spring event season, we are going to take a quick breather as we head into the base training of our fall event season. In just three weeks, we will be starting off season three of Beyond the Walls, and it's going to be a heartfelt, sweet conversation between Brian Frazier and Sheila Johnson. We will also have an exciting status update on our wash work in Rwanda. This episode will air during the 100 Days of Remembrance of the Victims of the Rwandan Genocide, which took place 27 years ago. This is a powerful episode we cannot wait to share with you. To our Seattle and OC runners, in these next few weeks of training, feel free to go back and listen to any of our over 40 episodes Beyond the Walls and know that you are not moving your feet alone. Twende, Mambale, Pomoja. Take care, and as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share.